This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 51. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey, welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about death. To be more specific, I'll talk about the death of my father. And that happened in January 2013. So today I'm not, you know, particularly sad or anything. And this may not sound like something that's really suited to positive psychology. But I would like all of you to know that positive psychology is not about happy, clappy subjects. It's also interested in how do we get the best out of really difficult situations and at the time when it happened i noticed that when i talked to people about my father's death they were very touched and at least in one case it actually helped a friend to get over the guilt she felt after her grandfather had passed away it turns out that talking to people authentically even helped to heal the wounds which were not my own, which was kind of an eye-opener to me. And this is a highly personal episode, so I won't talk about research or anything like that. Rather, it's more of a story. If that's not your thing, please just check out the other 50 episodes. I'm sure you'll be busy for a while. I am sharing this because I feel there is not a lot about death out there. It's almost a taboo subject. And the notion that several positive things could come from death is even more taboo. People's ideas about death and the afterlife vary greatly. And I don't wish to question your views about it. But I feel that the more open and honest I am, the more it can help you to think about death in constructive ways. While... Most of this is story. In the end, I will share some subjective lessons of what I learned from this death and how I hope, you know, future deaths, although I hope they're all very far away, um, how I hope they will be different, but also how I hope they will be the same. Now, I'll start out with some relationship history, and I don't think that this is particularly interesting or that my life is more interesting than anybody else's and I don't certainly have a big need to disclose this information. The reason I'm doing it anyway is that I feel that it might be hard for you to put in context what you're hearing if you wouldn't understand the nature of me and my father's relationship. And I'm not going to go into this in like great great detail but just so that you kind of have an idea what this all meant to me. As a young kid, me and my father were very close. We went to a vacation rental in the mountains every weekend for years and years. He did some work and went running while I was roaming the farm and the nearby woods and of course we'd also do stuff together like um, hike on mountains, go skiing, sledding and watching animals. In summer we would buy seven pounds of cherries and eat almost nothing else spitting the pits out of the car usually even singing while doing this i was really into animals when i was that young so in the evening we went to hide in places where we knew there were badgers and foxes deer and other animals in winter we went sledding and skiing and 
the car ride to this place was 45 minutes to an hour. So we had lots of time to talk and um, sometimes I enthusiastically participated and sometimes my dad just talked at me because that's something he used to do. My parents divorced when I was a teenager and it was a relief. While I didn't try to blame him too much, there were some things that made it hard for me to trust him. So while we always maintained contact, the relationship got quite strained at times. Things never got back to what they were in those early days of my childhood. and But I did see and appreciate that he was trying to change the things that stood between us. The day he died, well, it was actually a very happy period of my life. I had just started the Masters in Positive Psychology and I was completely high on how much I loved the subject and the people I had met there. That day I woke up with tons of energy. However, on the day he died, I had a phone call with someone who had gone through a lot of difficult things in life, and I secretly wondered if the stuff I was learning and trying out would actually hold up if something serious happened, like death. A few hours later, I had been feeling super energetic all day actually. It suddenly felt like someone had instantly sucked all the energy out of me. It was weird because nothing had happened to me, but I went to bed in the middle of the day because I was suddenly so exhausted. Then my father called, and I was still half asleep. He told me he was in hospital. He had actually just returned from a three or four week trip to India, so I hadn't seen him in a while. And I had never heard him sound so weak in my entire life, so I said I would instantly come to the hospital. He refused and said that they had tubes inside of him and that tomorrow they would take it all out and he insisted I would come the next day. And as I hung up, I pondered whether I should simply ignore his wishes. But that was precisely one of the things that I felt he had sometimes done to me, not respecting my wishes. So I decided not to do the same thing to him. I went back to bed and suddenly I saw all the images of the future as a flashback, which sounds weird, but basically I had sometimes fantasized about what my future would look like and I somehow noticed, um, and I was quite freaked out by this, that I had always imagined my mom to be old, but somehow unintentionally I had never seen my father be old in those those musings. So that really freaked me out and um, I, yeah, I mean, my heart was hammering, but I said to myself, hey, um, these are just your thoughts. He's in the hospital and he's okay. A few hours later, the doctor called to tell me that he had died of a heart attack. I had bought a book for Christmas that was called Father, Tell Me Your Story, because I had wanted to write down the most memorable parts of his life, and he died before I could give it to him. (laughs) The first months, well first month actually, people's reactions were as diverse as their personalities and as diverse as their their ideas about death. Some people said it's good that I have to take care of the formalities because it will keep me from thinking too much about my pain and some people said that maybe it was for the better, that his life wouldn't have been easier and yet others made it about themselves. What am I going to do now? We just had so many plans. To me, 
the most helpful response was a work colleague who just said, I don't know what to say, and hugged me and walked away. I realized pretty quickly that these reactions had very little to do with my father, his death, or me. They were way more telling about what that person felt or thought about death. In that time, um, I was inundated with a lot of formalities because I was the only child and my my father had not remarried. So I was basically, I became the CEO of death and it was like a part-time job, to be honest. I, I still had my regular job, although they graciously allowed me to take some time off. So what I did was the first two or three days, I think I took off completely just to get everything going. And then I took a few afternoons off and I had to organize everything from settling the finances, returning personal property he had borrowed from other people, organizing the funeral and clearing out everything he had. My own reactions responding to his death were, well, on the phone with the doctor, I immediately accepted that this had happened. There was no why him, why now, simply a quiet acceptance, and it actually surprised me, but I was also very grateful for it, because... You know, I I even remembered, I thanked the doctor for his sensitivity and how he had delivered the news. I hung up and and then I cried. Of course I cried. And my mom came to hug me and she somehow knew what was going on, although I hadn't said anything on the phone. So I don't believe, I, I guess she just felt what had happened. And in those first few weeks, I felt that everything had slowed down so that I could, and when I mean slowed down, I mean like time lapse basically, um, so that I could evaluate everything that had happened like in slower than real time and think through all the appropriate responses and choose the most helpful one. This was particularly helpful when people made strange remarks or when people disagreed about something and looked to me to settle it fairly. I never experienced this to this degree ever before or ever since. But again, it's something that I'm incredibly grateful for. And while I do believe that some of it was just, you know, given to me as a gift, so to speak, I also think that all the positive psychology stuff I had learned before had prepared me in unique ways to deal with this in a way that I probably hadn't been able to if this hadn't happened. Also, it was a hugely spiritual time for me. And... um, I'm agnostic about heaven. I think there are some things which, well, I don't believe in in a heaven where, you know, everybody's laughing and playing the flute and the harp or whatever and hanging out with angels. But um, I also don't want to dismiss an afterlife. I just think I simply know too little about these things and there is no need for me to make a decision. And um, I'm also fine with this idea that when we die, and our ashes are burned, that's just all that's left, basically, the ashes. And, however, through music, answering questions in my mind, sparkles on ice, a high number of interesting visual phenomena, like uh, rainbows in weird places and similar apparitions, it seemed like my dad was communicating with me, although I didn't need that to stay sane, and that was really interesting to me. Like, I was perfectly fine without 
you know, I didn't expect any, anything that indicated that, you know, he was trying or that there might be some kind of communication. And I'm not saying that's what happened, but some things were really quite strange after that. And I just acknowledged that. And responding to the organizational part of all of this was actually really annoying to me because I was conscious of the fact that from a spiritual point of view, there was a limited time in which I would feel so connected to this other world. And so I really didn't welcome distractions at all. However, thank God my family was really helpful with sorting out all these things and uh, Although I had to decide a lot of things alone, I was glad that they didn't need to, that I didn't need to go through everything myself. My aunts helped me, my mom helped me, and uh, my cousins at least morally supported me. To cope with the grief, I kind of decided pr- pretty quickly on a few rules that I set myself. So I told myself to not suppress the tears or other difficult emotions at all. So I basically gave myself the permission to cry whenever I wanted to, wherever I wanted to, and I honestly did not give a damn if other people were around or not. That's just something that I thought was necessarily for healing. And I cried in public maybe a few times, but not too often. And um, I also decided to listen to music, sad music actually, which expressed my feelings. And that again, often led to crying, although when I did that, I was usually by myself. And I did this because I knew that crying is actually both biologically and psychologically a really helpful and healing mechanism. So it's not something that I wanted to avoid. It's actually something that I wanted to encourage because I knew it would just be helpful. I also wrote a lot, which is course true for me whenever something happens that shakes me I write a lot that's my way of processing stuff and I also let people out how people help me out however they could and this didn't really matter if I needed that help or not because I knew that that was their way of expressing their love and support so those were the rules that I went by My dad and I had never really talked about how he wanted his funeral to be organized, so I was pretty lost once it happened. The only thing I knew was that he was to be cremated like anybody else in my family, but I didn't know anything else. And as I stood there trying to decide what to do, I suddenly had a load of flashbacks. Different memories of when my father had said he wanted to travel with me one day. Okay then, I said to him, well... Let's go traveling together. So now, on certain trips, but only when it feels right, I don't take him on all my trips. I take his ash with me and spread it in a nice place, and I've done this in all different kinds of the world. And before my father had died, I'd written on my whiteboard that when he would return, we would go and check out a landscape photography gallery together. And um, we had actually talked about it, and he was game. He was looking forward to it because he loved spending time with me doing stuff that interested me. For months after my father had died, no, sorry, four months after my father had died, I was walking around a random street in San Francisco. I'd just given away my spare change to a musician and then found that I couldn't board the bus because I needed change. So I went looking for a place to change money, and weirdly enough, none of them (laughs) 
could change my money. And it was just, you know, it was one of these moments when you're just like, what the is going on, you know? So I walked further and further down the road. And I actually, it was the opposite direction I had wanted to take. And I was getting really annoyed. But then suddenly I spotted a landscape photography gallery on the other side of the street. I forgot all about the change. And I went in. It was magnificent, absolutely. It's the biggest landscape photography gallery in the world. And I don't know, I suddenly felt the presence of my father. And he actually even said, like, mind mind if I join you? And I, uh, yeah, I I still get a little bit teary-eyed when I think about that. I shook my head and started crying, but it was, you know, the good tears. And I don't know, like, I, you know, again... I don't believe in these things like closure necessarily because life is messy. We don't get the closure that, you know, movies insinuate that we can have. But I actually got, you know, this visit, you know, to the landscape photography gallery where uh, it really feels like he had let me there. And also the last time I had seen my father, incidentally, was when we actually returned to that vacation rental home that we had sold basically 20 years ago or 20 not sold just given up we didn't own it um and that was actually the place where despite our difficult relationship it always felt easiest for me to love him so so i really felt that there was beauty you know in in having that as a last memory so here are the lessons i learned And um, I want to quote a post that I wrote, or at least, or actually two of them, I think, um, two weeks after his death. So the lessons I learned, number one, it's personal, both for the person who passes as for the family and friends. Well, death, of course. That means that each item here might be partially or not true at all, depending on the circumstances. Number two. There's a lot our culture doesn't talk about. It's mainly the positive sides of dying. Yes, they existed as well. Even or especially if you have loved the person. Number three. If you look for beauty and are grateful in everyday life, death will not take that away from you. The world is still beautiful, even if you've lost something. Number four. People's views on life, death, and what's important in life will clash. People will say things that have the potential to upset anger or sadness. Number five, we have the choice whether we let that happen or if we choose to understand that by default of having a different perspective, we probably have already said or done things that upset others as well without meaning to. Number six, clarity, acceptance, and peace can come instantly if you have cultivated them before. 7. You can continue to have a relationship with a deceased person and grow because love can't be wasted. Number 8. A loved one who has passed away can give you, can keep you accountable in a loving way that is more powerful than lots of other ways of accountability. How I hope the next death will be different. Number 1. A person I loved, treasured, trusted, and valued 
should die knowing 100% that this was the case. Number two, when I enter such a person's home, it should be full of little cards, ticket stubs, objects and other things which are an expression of my love. And emails and text messages do not make the cut. Three, I want to have pictures of us together in every or at least most stages in life that we shared. Number four, it will be good to know how and where that person wishes to be buried. Five, all the things that we think are morbid to think about are actually really useful. More people know about your wishes and your affairs, the easier it is to sort everything out once it happens. And here's the final piece I wanted to share about how I want death to be the same the next time. Number one, I want to be able to reach instant acceptance. Number two, to have the clarity of mind to be aware that we can choose our thoughts and consequently our feelings. Number three, to be able to share the experience with the people who try to support you. Number four, to be courageous enough to own your own feelings. Five, to cry if you have to and feel its soothing effect. Six, to be detached in a natural way when sorting out the business side of death. This came naturally and is not some kind of suppression or defense mechanism. Seven, to have lots of people to support you. Eight, to be able to communicate with the loved one through music, questions, and other ways. Nine, to have a sense of how the relationship can progress to a different level. Now, this might sound a little bit confusing, but I actually think that just because our relationship was difficult in the last few years doesn't mean that I have to feel like that about my father for the rest of my life. I think I can work towards accepting some things that happen more than I do now. I try to accept as much as I can, but maybe I can't accept everything. And to cultivate, you know, loving kindness in my heart for my father as well. Number 10, to still see the beauty in the world. Number 11, to register and be grateful for the individual things people do to express their love and sympathy. Number 12, to understand how you can grow from the experience and by doing so, honor the deceased. Number 13, to be compassionate with yourselves and others. Number 14, to be forgiving with yourself and others. 15, to know that the person didn't suffer from a long illness. 16, to know that the person really enjoyed their last days on earth. So, I hope that by sharing this episode with you, it has gotten you to think about your own attitude towards death. I also want to make clear that in some cases, there might be no silver lining. And whoever suggests there is one, or that you should move on, is not positive, but actually just lacks sensitivity. And I am aware that my case, you know, this death was actually a pretty peaceful one, although it's, it's, it was very sudden. And I understand that, you know, especially if someone is taken from you very suddenly or at an early age, maybe none of the things I said apply. 
And if you feel that you can't feel that way yet, or you might never feel that way about it, I um, just wish that you have people around you who can sit with you and just love you, even if they don't know what to do with your pain. And even if you don't know what you to do with your pain. In the animal kingdom, there there are these manim- animals called meerkats. And when a meerkat gets seriously sick, its meerkat buddies, they take turns and just hang out with the ill meerkat. They don't talk its ear off or try to change the situation. They are just there for the other meerkat. More often than not, the meerkat recovers. And my mom told me about this after watching a documentary. And I decided to try it on people, this approach. Just to be lovingly present without wanting to change anything. Without offering any kind of solutions or thoughts or advice or any of that. Just being there. And I have found that this loving presence is often more useful than all the other stuff. All right. Um, Have a good week and talk to you next week. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.